Good morning. It's great to see all of you, and it's so great for Carol and I to be here. I know some of you are also guests today, just like we are, but what a beautiful expression of the body of Christ here in Crested Butte. We have heard about this ministry for so many years, ever since Scott uh, and Claire left us in Richardson, Texas, and came up here. We literally pray for you, uh, for this body, for this church uh, every every week. In fact, Scott and I on Sunday mornings are texting each other uh, way before some of you are getting out of bed. We're texting each other, telling each other we're praying for one another, for the church. It's um, I cry a lot, so we're just going to go with that. <laughs> um, but anyway, we, we've it's great for us to look out and see you, uh, for me to see those of, I, those of you that I've prayed for and never even met. Uh, what a, look what God has done in this church, in this place. Now, and I'm not just talking about the building. This is amazing. We were here three years ago. We've seen the transformation of the facility. But what's more exciting is the transformation that is going on in the body of Christ and in the, the town of Crested Butte. Uh, because of you. So it's a privilege for me to be with you. And uh, Carol and I have loved Scott and Claire for so many, so many years, as Scott mentioned. Uh, actually married Scott and Claire. And I'll never forget how beautiful she was as she walked down the aisle and how I looked over at Scott and I thought he was going to pass out. His, head, his eyes were rolling at, back in his head and, and I told him to breathe. He had that deer in the headlights look. He's been smitten ever since. Um, and, and just for the record, the reason I took a chance on this guy and brought him on our staff at, uh, at our church um, in 1990 was I needed a big guy for, on my basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> I should have had him try it out because once we started playing together, I realized he wasn't that good. I love hearing about the series that you're in now called Magnify, and I love the fact that uh, you're going through different uh, uh, women in the Bible who who really teach us how to magnify the Lord, and uh, that's kind of the way it's always been, hasn't it? I mean, I, I know it's been true in my life with my own wife, with my mom who led me to Christ, with the women in our church, and I'm sure the women in this church... It's always been true that God uh, has used the women in his, his ladies to, to teach us men how to magnify Jesus, how to lift him up, how to exalt him, stole him. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to continue that. So if you're not there in your Bibles already, turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at another woman who beautifully magnified Jesus, maybe in a way you might not expect at first, but Jesus certainly felt lifted up. In fact, he turned around and magnified her. And he uses, he tells a parable that teaches, um, that teaches all of us what it, uh, some lessons about forgiveness and love. So uh, the scene opens, we've already read the passage, the scene opens with Jesus being invited to Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner. And when you stop and think about the friction that was that was starting to happen between the religious leadership and, um, and Jesus, it's, it, it's kind of surprising that Simon would invite Jesus over to his house for dinner. Now, either Simon was a collector of celebrities, and Jesus at that time, his popularity was soaring, 
and uh, Simon-like controversy, or he invited Jesus into his home to um, maybe to trap him in some way, to catch him in something, some blasphemy or something that he could use against him. We don't know for sure, but um, to understand the conversation that takes place in this passage, we need to understand the context uh, that is set in that cult- the cultural context of that day. Um, when someone came over to dinner to your house, there were some things uh, that just good manners dictated that you do for them. Because the roads were dusty and uh, everybody wore sandals, one of the customary things was as soon as a guest walked into your home, you would have a basin of water there and either, either a servant or someone would assume that position and would, would wash, take off the sandals of the guest and wash their feet and, so they could experience some cool water from, and, and, and cleansing from that dusty, the dusty roads. That was the first common courtesy that took place when you went into a guest's house. A second thing was the, the host would, would, come to, would greet that person at the door and would put their hands on their shoulders and give them uh, like a kiss of peace. In fact, Scott, why don't you come over here? I just want to demonstrate that just for a minute. No, I'm kidding. Um, they would give them a kiss of peace, of, of greeting and welcome. And the third thing that would happen is, um, and I'm not sure why this was their custom, um, but they would take some uh, fragrant oil or crushed flowers and put either pour that or place that over the head of the guest as they came in. Maybe it was kind of like, deodorant or something. I don't know. I don't know. But those three things would always happen. It was also common uh, that when a rabbi came to dinner, anyone in the town could show up at that house, uninvited. And they would either stand outside and look through the window or slip in the door and stand around in the back so they could listen to the wisdom that, that poured forth from the rabbi. So that background helps us understand a little bit of what happens next. I want you to, we want to go back and look at verse 37 and 38 of the passage because the camera of scripture kind of zooms in on this particular woman in the back. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. First thing Luke does is he exposes the background of this woman, doesn't he? He says that uh, she was known all over town as a sinner. That's a polite way of saying she was a prostitute. Everybody knew her, who knew who she was. And when she heard that Jesus was having dinner over at Simon the Pharisee's house, she's, she decided for some reason, we don't know for sure, but she had heard of Jesus. Maybe she had met him before. Maybe she had heard him preach somewhere. But she wanted to show up and hear what Jesus had to say. So she slips in the back of the room. And as she is standing there, listening to the conversation, watching them enjoy this meal, maybe she noticed that Jesus' feet had not been, Simon, I will help you see her. And the way I want to do it is by showing her in contrast to you. 
Look at verses 44 to 46. Simon, this is a paraphrase of these verses. So if you're looking in your text and you see these words a little different, you go, wait a minute, he's in the wrong passage. No, I'm not. He says this. He says, I came into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. Remember the customs. She has bathed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not greet me with the ordinary polite kiss of greeting. She smothered my feet with kisses. You did not honor me by, my, by providing fragrant oil or flowers for my head, but she poured out her expensive perfumed oil all over my feet. And then Jesus drives his point home in verse 47. He says this, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, Jesus didn't ignore this woman's sinfulness, did he? He didn't gloss over her sin. They were many. Her sin debt was great, but so was her forgiveness. And Jesus was not saying that this woman's actions earned her forgiveness, although it may sound like that. Her loving actions toward Jesus were in response to her forgiveness. The parable makes Jesus' question back in verse 44 even more pointed. I think Jesus is basically with this contrast. When he finishes that, he says, Simon, Simon, do you see her now? Do you see her now? More importantly, Simon, do you see yourself? The debt Jesus is calling into account is not the prostitutes, but the Pharisees. She magnified me, Jesus says. You judged me. She expressed her love for me. You have shown your neglect. She humbled herself. You're still prideful. She recognizes who I am. You still don't. She has been forgiven much. You have not been forgiven at all. And then in verse 48, Jesus speaks to the woman loud enough for everyone in the room to hear. And he said to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. What a gift. Jesus uses a past tense verb, which basically means this could be translated, your sins have been forgiven. We don't know if if this woman had had an encounter, encounter with Jesus earlier. Maybe she heard him say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We don't know. But all we do know for sure is that Jesus is calling attention to her loving actions as a response to her forgiveness. Notice the response of the other guests in the room that heard all of this. They looked at, in verse 49, they say this, Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves. I wonder if those at table with him were other Pharisees. Who is this who even forgives sins? Who does this guy think he is? 
Only God can forgive sins. Bingo. They thought they had Jesus, and they totally missed the truth of what just happened. Then notice how Jesus finishes this story. Verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. And Jesus is making it clear right here, isn't he, that this woman's actions were not what saved her. It was her faith that saved her. And her actions were a consequence, a response of her faith and how much she had been forgiven. I love this story. It is an amazing story that all revolves around this woman's response to having received God's forgiveness for her sins. Think about it. Her humility in kneeling, the tears of gratefulness, using her own hair as a towel, her kisses, the use of expensive ointment, all were testimonies of her forgiveness, all tokens of her love. What about you? When was the last time you thought about how much you have been forgiven? And what was your response to that? Or have you become too proud or pharisaical to kneel or to serve or to give or to worship? Or to cry. We really need to ask ourselves this question this morning, having read this passage, this story. Does our response to Jesus look more like the prostitutes or the Pharisees? Think about it. She admitted her sinful condition, he rationalized his. She saw her need for the Savior. He didn't. She was humble. He was proud. She exercised faith. He continued in his stubborn unbelief. She was forgiven much. He was forgiven little. She loved much. He loved little. Truth is, we're all sinners, aren't we? It's really not about how many sins we've committed or how how um, ugly those sins are. It's not even about the fact that uh, you may have committed less than I have or I may have committed less than you. It's that all of us have a sin debt that we cannot pay. It's too great. And that's the good news of the gospel of God's grace. His grace is greater than all our sin. Jesus Christ offered himself broken and poured out on a cross to cancel our sin debt. And the only question is, will we humble ourselves or are we too proud to put our faith and trust in Jesus and receive his gift of forgiveness? There's also another lesson for those of us who've already been forgiven and know it but maybe you've forgotten. Are we guilty of 
pointing out the sins of others in order to cover up our own or rationalize our own? Has anything really changed in the way we live our lives since we have been forgiven? Or are we continuing to prostitute our life with the same old sins, same old excuses, same old rationalizations? I love the song that Tyler and the worship team led us in right before we turned to the word this morning, Lead Me to the Cross. I just quickly jotted down the words of the chorus because I didn't want to forgive them, forget them. It says, Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees. Lord, I lay me down. What a, what a statement of surrender. Rid me of myself. I belong to you. Lead me, Lord. Lead me to the cross. Remember what Jesus said in this parable? He said, he who has forgiven much loves much. And he who has been forgiven little loves little. How much do you love Jesus? And what does that love look like? How does it express itself day by day? When was the last time you really felt the relief of having your sins forgiven? Not just the ones in the past the distant past, but the ones yesterday or the ones this morning on your way to church or the ones you will commit tomorrow. When was the last time you really felt the relief from that? And should it not prompt in us the same things it prompted in this woman when she magnified Jesus by caring for him and loving him in a very extravagant, vulnerable way? Her humility, her faith, her, her gratefulness, her tears, her love, her service, her sacrifice, her devotion. He who loves much, he who has forgiven much, loves much. He who has forgiven little, loves little. Would you bow your heads with me? And while you do, the worship team's going to come up, Tyler's going to bring them up, and, and as we bow our heads, I want to ask you all, all of us in this room, if you would embrace this prayer of confession as your own. Dear Jesus, forgive me for all the times that I have sought to magnify myself instead of you. Forgive me, Lord, for all the ways that I have compromised my character and prostituted my life. And for all the times I put my wants and desires above yours, my debt is great, Lord. Forgive me also for all the times I've been pharisaical. For when I've looked down on others for the clothes that they've had on or for criticizing others for worshiping you in a way that was different than my way. Forgive me, Lord, for the times I've judged others for the sins they've committed while trying to cover up or rationalize my own. My debt is great. It's so great, Lord. 
Forgive me, Lord, for the sins I've committed, which, like the prostitutes, are many. And forgive me for the opportunities to magnify you that I have neglected, which, like the Pharisees, are also many. Help me, Lord. Help us all to realize and to remember the extent of our sin debt so that we may appreciate your amazing grace in canceling it. And help us, Lord, to remember every day how much we've been forgiven so that we might love you more. And in love, may we magnify your name in all we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.